It's a great day to be at church. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, if you don't know me yet, I'd love to introduce myself. My name's Kendall, one of the pastors here. And I'm actually the training pastor. It's my joy in life to get to work with our school of transformation. Uh, we have two schools now, a morning school and an evening and weekend uh, program as well. And uh, just before I get started, I want to say, hey, if you're praying about this school, if you've even thought about it, um, let us know. The application deadline, we've pushed it back to June 15th. And man, it's been an incredible year this past year. And I know this next year is going to be even and more incredible. Uh, a few quick uh, notes. Uh, Robert, obviously our lead pastor, is overseas right now with one of our trips from the School of Transformation in Thailand. I think they're doing pretty good. I've seen some pictures of some of the Herber kids bathing in like a bucket, and there may have been some elephants involved. I'm not totally sure. And I also know they went to the nation of Burma somehow incidentally, so they've gone to two countries. They're having a great trip. And also we have another trip right now in Lebanon, soon getting to France. My wife Shelly and my son Isaac will all be joining that trip on Wednesday, but I've been hearing some awesome stories from Lebanon in the Middle East where they've been gathering in these big markets and just doing what they're doing, we're doing here, just worshiping. And they said last night, they sent me an email this morning, a hundred people gathered around them in the Middle East to see a drama about Jesus. And seven people so far have given their lives to Jesus, just on the streets of the Middle East. So God is good. He's drawing all men to himself. And we are really blessed to be a part of a church that has extensions everywhere, but we are trying to, to tell people about the good news of Jesus. So uh, let me tell you a, a quick story um, before we get started. Have you ever noticed that homes and rooms, buildings, they can kind of have a certain environment about them? They can kind of have a certain atmosphere and uh, just kind of a certain vibe. And I didn't really totally get this until I, until I started dating my wife, Shelly. And the reason I got uh, a little more aware of this principle is because I went to dinner at Shelly's family house. Now, first of all, let me tell you how dinner at my house works. So in the Laughlin house, first of all, everybody is very loud. And in order to be heard, you have to speak over someone else. So it's kind of a more competitive conversational environment. And also, although we're kind of intense conversationally, we're very formal in our style. So we sit in a separate dining room that's far from the actual kitchen because it's a little more formal that way. And we sit at a big, long, rectangular table. And many times my mom will make little place cards that she'll sit out for each person to sit. So it's a little more formal, a little more formal dining environment at the Laughlin home where I was raised. And then to top it all off, it's, it's a very Southern home. And so as a result, we're a hunting family. And so there's taxidermy just all over the walls, okay, in the Laughlin home. Ducks, wood ducks, pheasants, antlers. You get the picture. We got it all, okay. And um, no jackalopes, but it's close. So um, that's what dinner was like for me growing up. Now, when Shelly and I began to date, and I got to know her family, by the way, if you're dating someone, a good idea to get to know their family, the little freebie dating principle there, but we, we sat down for dinner at the Shepherd home. Now, instantly, I noticed a different atmosphere at the Shepherd home. First of all, we were dining near the kitchen. It was kind of more of an open floor plan where the kitchen and the dining are connected, uh, and my family had a long rectangular table with these big flower centerpieces in the middle. And so we couldn't even really see each other. So maybe that's why we yelled. I don't know. But Shelly's family um, sat at a round table. And in Shelly's family, when someone spoke, everyone else listened. So that was a little different than my family. And uh, then uh, 
uh, also a different thing that happened in Shelly's family was that I remember sitting down very first round table, you know, I'm trying to make a good impression on the shepherds that Shelly's made a name. And I look up and there's a poster on the wall and it's a picture of a little boy petting a rabbit. And over the picture, it says, be ye kind, totally different, totally different atmosphere than the Laughlin family. Okay. Not better, not worse, but just different. So different rooms, different families, different cultures have a different vibe, have a different atmosphere. And let me tell you, this isn't just a uh, kind of a, a relational thing. It isn't just a, about decorating or anything like that. This actually is a very spiritual principle that the places we are in have a spiritual atmosphere, have a spiritual environment that are attached to them. Our families, our homes create that spiritual environment. So let me tell you another story. We had a great dinner a few months ago at Eric and Kelly Trimble's house. They invited us over for dinner and we were able to hang out with them, learn a little more about their lineage and their history, just get to know their story. It was a good time. They cooked some good food. It was, it was a fun evening. But during the course of the evening, I got to know a little bit of Eric's testimony. And as I heard Eric's story, I learned that he had come to know Jesus kind of later in life and wasn't necessarily raised in, in a way where he was knowing God and walking with God. And so we were dialoguing on, about his family and kind of what that looks like, because that's a good way to get to know someone. And he pulled out this, this heirloom that had been given to him by his family. You see, when Eric started following God, his family noticed, okay, Eric's getting kind of spiritual. We have this kind of spiritual object that has been passed down from generation to generation. We, we're not necessarily using it, but let's give it to Eric because we know he'll use it. And what it was, it was from the late, was it late 1700s, early 1800s? Somewhere around there. Uh, the Trimble Family Bible. So I have a picture of it right here. This old school Bible. It's not that big, but it's pretty massive. And uh, yeah, they have this beautiful calligraphy inside and these awesome woodcut drawings. And it's this family heirloom that to me really represents the, the spiritual inheritance, the spiritual heritage of the Trimble family. A cool thing about the Bible is they recorded all the marriages and births in there of everyone. It goes back to the early 1800s, 1800 something. And then, and then Eric and Kelly, you see here on the next page, they wrote down their, their marriage there and the pastor that married them. So this is a really cool family heirloom, neat story. But it's a symbol of the fact that we can pass down a spiritual inheritance to the next generation. So this morning, as we talk about passing down that spiritual inheritance, as we talk about um, what it looks like to keep the home fires burning in our lives, what it looks like to keep uh, the presence of God available and ready in our home, I want to talk about the presence-centered home. I'm going to speak to you from the subject this morning, the presence-centered home. And uh, let's get started here. We're going to be turning into the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you don't know where 2 Samuel is, it's right after 1 Samuel. Um, but uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, we've got some ushers with Bibles that are coming down. We love to give away Bibles. We give away many people their first Bible. It's a privilege of ours. So please take one if you don't have one and follow along with us. Raise your hand. They'll give one to you. 2 Samuel chapter 6. That's in the Old Testament. And our key verse, our main verse this morning, oh, here it is, wonderful, is going to be 2 Samuel 6, 11. 2 Samuel 6, 11. I'll read the key verse, and then I'll give us some background. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obadiah, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Read that again. 
the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obadiah, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. That's our key verse this morning. Now, I wasn't planning on speaking on this. I had a whole other message prepared two weeks ago, and I was writing, and God put this scripture on my heart. And I was began to study the life of Obadiah and the history of the ark. There really was this beautiful thing that God unpacked to me. So that's what I'm going to share this morning. I'm really excited about it. We're going to talk about three things in regards to the presence-centered home. First of all, this morning, we're going to talk about why. Why we want a presence-centered home. Why we want a home that's centered on the presence of God. The next thing we're going to talk about is how. How do we center our home on the presence of God? How do we bring God's presence into our environment and create that spiritual inheritance, that spiritual atmosphere? And the last thing is what? What is the fruit of a presence-centered home? What happens in a home that is centered on the presence of God. Why, how, and what? Okay, let me give you some background to the scripture in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 6 is all about the ark, okay? The ark in the Old Testament is the symbol of God's presence. Today in the church, here in, after the New Testament, we are the church, right? And we have the Holy Spirit, okay? And the Holy Spirit is the presence of God in the here and now. In the book of John, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's saying, hey, guys, I'm going to leave you. And it's going to be better if I go because another one, a comforter, is going to come in my name. And that comforter is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God inside of us when we accept Jesus. Ephesians 1 says the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, like a deposit inside of us guaranteeing our salvation. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God in the here and now. The Holy Spirit is who we're sensing and feeling as we worship and we feel ourselves kind of getting somewhere and being lifted above our circumstances. That's the Holy Spirit bringing the presence of God. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't live inside people. This is how it was before Jesus came. Um, You see, God lived in one place in the Old Testament, in the first section of the Bible. He lived in the temple. And the reason he lived in the temple is because God's presence is holy, right? Holy Spirit, right? God's presence is holy. And Two things can't occupy the same space. And so when God's holiness shows up through his presence, he is not able to be around unholy things. And so there was a special place set apart for the people to meet with God for the purpose of his holiness. And, for example, we see this in the Old Testament with Moses in Numbers 7, uh, 89. I think we have that one. Yeah. So here's Moses going into this tabernacle to to pray and meet with God. When Moses entered the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from between the two cherubim, from above the atonement cover on the Ark of the Testimony. And he spoke with him. Okay, a lot of weird words in there. Essentially, Moses would go into a tent, and that's where the presence of God was, sitting on top of the Ark. And God would speak to him as he stood there. The Ark is the symbol in the Old Testament of the presence of God. And so 2 Samuel 6, we can take that down, 2 Samuel 6 is all about things that are happening with the ark. And because we have the presence of God available here and now today by the Holy Spirit, what we can do is take some of these principles from 2 Samuel 6 that teach us how to have a presence-centered life and a presence-centered home today. So let's start with our first point here, why we want a presence-centered home, why we want a presence Centered home. Let's switch to that key verse, 2 Samuel 6, 11. Let's read that again. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obediam, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. 
So here's what's going on. The ark is being moved around. Because God's presence is so powerful, everyone's afraid of it, and they don't know where to put it. And so it ends up at this guy's house, Obadiah, okay? Obadiah has no relation to the ark. As far as we know, he's not really a holy person. He's just kind of this random guy, and the ark ends up at his house. The very seat of the presence of God ends up at his house. And so here in the Old Testament, we have an example of a home that is centered on the presence of God. The house of Obadiah. So here's a few reasons we want the presence of God and a few things we see out of Obadiah's life. First of all, it says here that Obadiah was blessed. You guys see that? Okay, so one reason we want the presence of God in our homes, we want to have a presence-centered home, is because we desperately want and need God's blessing. We desperately want and need God's blessing. You see, an interesting thing about Obadiah is this verse tells us that he was a Gittite. Say that with me, Gittite. Okay, all right, so he was a Gittite. A Gittite was not a Jew. So Obadiah was not part of God's holy people. He was not part of the people that have been set aside for God's purposes. He was actually the opposite of that. He was one of the Jews' enemies. He was a Philistine, okay? There's another story about a Philistine. It's called David and Goliath, okay? So the Philistines and the Jews did not have a good relationship. So Obadiah, this is this guy. He's not holy. Actually, according to the Old Testament, he's, he's kind of unclean. He shouldn't be around God's presence. But the presence of God shows up at his house, and he is blessed. This is why we want the presence of God. Because there's people in this room of all kinds of different backgrounds. There's people in this room that were maybe raised and the day they were born, your parents, you know, sprinkled you or, you know, prayed over you or whatever they did to dedicate you to God. And there's people maybe in this room that this is your first time in church ever or a really long time. But the incredible thing about this passage is that God is telling us that his blessing will fall on whoever seeks his presence. His blessing will fall on whoever seeks his presence. We actually see later in scripture this blessing on the house of Obadiah. I'm not going to get into it, but there's a story in 2 Chronicles 25. You can make a note of that if you want. 2 Chronicles 25, where actually they go to Obadiah's house because he's known to have a treasury of gold there. (laughs) So something happened as Obadiah was blessed where his house was filled with a treasury of gold. God's presence brings blessing into our life. That's why we want to have a present-centered home. But another reason we want to have a present-centered home is because God doesn't just bless us, but it says it here. The Lord blessed him and his entire household. You see, rabbis say there's a lot of different rabbinical texts, Old Testament scholars that wrote down and studied this passage, and there's some different legends about Obadiah. What the rabbis say is that Obadiah would wake up every morning and pray before the ark. He would strum instruments, and twice a day he would light a candle, and he would light a fire in front of the ark as a way to consecrate his home, as a way to worship and seek the presence of God. So as Obadiah was doing that, a great blessing came on Obadiah and his house. Actually, um, scholars say, as they look at other scriptures related to Obadiah, that something happened in Obadiah's house during this time where at least six grandchildren were kind of born or conceived. And then at the end of the Bible, at the end of First uh, Chronicles 26, it's talking about the sons of Obadiah. They're saying he has 62 grandchildren. So somehow between 2 Samuel 6 and the end of 1 Chronicles, Obadiah is blessed with 62 grandchildren. 
that are all in the ministry serving God in the temple. How did that happen? God's blessing came on the household of Obadiah because of his presence. We want a presence-centered home because we desperately want and need God's blessing in our life. We want to pass down the presence and the blessing of God to the next generation. There was a guy that came into San Diego, um, just a, a Christian leader, and I had an opportunity to pray for him. And uh, as I was praying for him, I, I heard myself praying this prayer. It's not a prayer I'd ever prayed before. It's not something I'd even really thought about before. But I prayed this prayer over him. I said, may your kids never know a season without the presence of God. And I prayed that for him, but I've started praying that for myself as well. We want to pass down what God has done in us to the next generation. We need a presence-centered home. So that's why. Why we need a presence-centered home is because we desperately need God's blessing on our life. Number two, how? How do we get a presence-centered home? Well, um, there's a lot of principles here in 2 Samuel 6. So let's go to the first of the chapter here. Uh, there's a few things in the passage that give us some clues on how to get a presence-centered home. Let's go to the, the first verse here of 2 Samuel 6. Um, we have it here. Oh, great. Okay, it's talking about David. He and his men set out from Bala of Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God. It's the symbol of the presence of God, right? The Ark which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. Okay, keep going, please. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs and harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, don't know what a sistrum is, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nikon, Yuza reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Yuza because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there because of the ark of God. Okay, so that's kind of an interesting passage, okay? So the ark is the symbol of the presence of God. And then you have this guy, Uza, unfortunately, who's recorded in the Bible as dying because he didn't handle the ark correctly. So this is a potentially confusing passage. Let me put it in some context for you. There was some protocol that God gave Israel that they were supposed to follow when they handled the ark because God is holy. And the purpose of this protocol that we see in the Old Testament, you ever read those different laws in the Old Testament? You're like, what this is all about? It's God was setting up a protocol to teach the people his holiness. And because God is holy, when people broke that protocol and entered into unholy actions, there were consequences that happened there because he was forced to preserve his holy nature. You see, there was a few different things that Israel was supposed to do to carry the ark. First of all, the ark was supposed to be carried by priests. Secondly, the ark was supposed to be carried by poles. Okay. Third, the priests were supposed to go through a special, special cleansing ceremony. And then there were some other things that are very specific. But I have a great example for us. I think the ark looked actually a little something uh, like this, um, which we'll have a special guest here in a minute who's bringing the ark for us. But, um, but as we're talking about it, David did not follow those requirements. Okay? This is what David did. If you're, if you're wondering what's happening, there is now an ark of the covenant being carried in properly into the worship room here. And these guys are not going to stumble as they walk. So 
Um, so this is how the ark was supposed to be carried, okay? Now, God's presence would sit there between the wings on the ark, and the priests would carry it up. These are some nice priestly-looking guys, right? Pretty clean-cut, okay? And so they would carry the ark up, and that's how the ark was to be carried. This is how they carried it around Jericho when the walls fell. This is how the ark worked. But David doesn't do that, okay? David has the ark carried by oxen, okay? First mistake. Second mistake, he builds a cart. Well, these guys are not a cart, are they? Okay, so he's broken God's protocol by, by carrying the ark um, in, 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 in an unholy way. So this story tells us how to have a present-centered home because it's a prophetic symbol that we need purity to attract the manifest presence of God. Purity is required to attract the manifest presence of God. These guys are going to put the ark down right here in front of the chair, right there. Okay, awesome, guys. It's a good group of art carriers. Let's give them a hand. All right. Thank you. Purity attracts the presence of God. This is the first way that we establish a presence-centered home. You see, um, two things can occupy the same space. And so when we have things in our life that are bringing a presence other than the presence of Jesus that are maybe bringing darkness into our life or distracting us from what God wants us to do, God is not able to visit us the way that he wants to. It's not that he's holding back from us, it's that we're holding on to other things. And so our role in attracting the presence of God and building a present-centered home is to allow God's grace and uh, power to come on our life to walk in purity so we can attract the manifest presence of God. You guys tracking with me? Great, so here's the story. So Tani, okay, Tani is, was in our School of Transformation this past year. A few years ago, Tani gave her life to Jesus. Michelle, one of our staff members, started discipling Tani. They started to sit down together, study the Bible, pray for one another. And as they were praying, Tani felt collect, uh, convicted about her DVD collection. So she had this massive DVD collection that she was thinking, well, you know, there's this old DVD and that one. Maybe I'll watch that sometime. I probably won't watch that one again. But she started to feel like there's something not so good about this. I have a lot of things that maybe aren't honoring to the Lord, and I want to have a life that's attractive to God's presence. And so Tani and Michelle had a discipleship time one day. You don't have to do this, but this is a, this is a pretty good illustration of, of what it takes to have a presence-centered home. They went through every DVD and prayed about it and said, God, is this something that's going to bring your presence into my home? If it wasn't, they removed it. If God says it was okay and they kind of agreed and talked about it and, hey, it felt, felt like it was cool, then they kept the DVD. See, media creates an atmosphere, right? Music, movies, they, they create an atmosphere, right? It creates a vibe. It creates something spiritual in our lives that kind of sticks onto us and affects us. And so when we invite things into our home that are not of God, that takes up space that the manifest presence of God wants to occupy. So living in purity and having a presence-centered home life means walking in the spirit in regards to our media. There's a lot of different stories I could tell you in regards to that. Um, I'm afraid I'm going to need to speed up. But I did have a story of, of a friend that purchased a home. And as we were praying, uh, we were in his home, and we felt like something specific had happened in the home that maybe wasn't from God. And so then we prayed over the home and consecrated it. That's another way we can have a pure lifestyle is by praying over the place that we live and releasing God's presence. Purity is the first way we build a present-centered home. 
The next way we build a present-centered home is by serving. It's by serving. Let's continue in 2 Samuel. Servanthood builds a present-centered home. Let's continue in 2 Samuel. Here in verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obadiah the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him as an entire household. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the house of Obadiah and everything he has because of the ark of God. Okay, let's stop there. Obadiah has a really interesting name because the word Obed means servant. So a crazy principle in God's kingdom is this. When God gives us things, the way that we attract more is by giving them away. That's why one of the core values of this church is give it away. God has called us to be rivers of his blessing, not lakes. Okay? At my family's farm in Arkansas, they have a little catfish pond, and it's stagnant, and it's gross, right? That's not what we want to be. Water needs a place to flow. So the blessing in our life needs a place to flow if God's going to continue to pour out his presence upon us. That is a servanthood is a way we build a present-centered home. One of the ways I've seen families in our church do this so beautifully is by having a mission as a family together. Um, you know, there's a number of families here that are involved in Ember Arts, and they have a mission of uplifting refugees. And I think their kids are going to grow up remembering them going to Uganda and going and doing things and serving the poor. One story comes to mind of a family mission trip. Going on a mission trip together as a family or with roommates or with friends is a great way to build a present-centered home because it brings servanthood into your life and reminds you of other people and their needs. Um, so there was, there was a trip last year to Mexico that we went on. And during that season in the church, I was helping run our overflow ministry, our first to sixth grade ministry. And we had a little prayer time in the morning. And I'll never forget Eric uh, Jr. Cisneros praying and feeling like he had a picture of Jesus coming to him and saying, Eric, you're a good shepherd. You're going to be a shepherd of my people. Feed my sheep. And that night, Eric leading his first person to Jesus. You see, servanthood creates an environment for God to move and allows us to establish his presence at the center of our home. It attracts something, the humility, the brokenness, the pouring out on behalf of others. It's like a big landing strip for the Holy Spirit. It says, okay, God, we're ready. Pour out your spirit on us. Purity helps us build a present-centered home. Servanthood helps us center our home on the presence of God. The next thing we see in this story relating to the ark that builds a present-centered home is, I think we have it up here, is um, extravagant and wild worship. Extravagant and wild worship builds a present-centered home. Let's look here at, um, at the next passage of Scripture, starting in verse 12 of 2 Samuel 6. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obadiah and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obadiah to the city of David with rejoicing. Let's continue. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps... He sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, that's like underwear, okay, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Okay, David is extravagantly and wildly worshiping the Lord. Okay, first of all, back to Obadiah. Okay, so on the ark, okay, here in the ark, um, this is where the presence of God lived in the Old Testament. And so when Moses or different people would come to pray, they would come before the ark, and here's what would happen, okay? First of all, the room would get filled with smoke, okay? 
So smoke would, supernatural smoke would happen. Oh, then fire. Oh, here's the fire. Perfect. Okay. And then fire would come. Okay. And then God's presence would fall in the room like, you know, it would come down. And then God would speak to Moses or David or different people with his presence resting on the ark. Well, that's what happened to Obadiah. So the ark shows up at his house. I think he probably had a pretty good FaceTime for three months. What do you guys think? And I guarantee you, his children never forgot it. They never forgot walking home from school and seeing a pillar of fire over their home and thinking, well, dad's praying again. Okay? So extravagant and wild worship helps us build a presence-centered home. Let me tell you something. You may not have an ark in your home or a glory cloud, but that's what happens in the spirit every time you worship in your home. That's what happens in the spirit. In the spirit realm, in the unseen realm, where the Holy Spirit and angels and everything moves, that's what's going on. The presence of God is filling that place and moving and changing things in the unseen realm. Lightning is happening. That's what's happening when you are waking up and having your face time. Okay? So tomorrow morning is going to be different. You're going to have a little different perspective there. Because here's the modern day application. In the Old Testament, God's presence lived here. But now our body is the temple. So every time we enter into a place of prayer, God's manifest presence is available to us as we enter into extravagant and wild worship. Let's look at David here because he's got some great worship principles as well. Let's go back to the scripture here in 2 Samuel. Okay, so first thing David did, we see in verse 13, he said, when they were carrying the ark of the Lord, every six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. Okay, weird. First of all, secondly, expensive. So every six steps, so here they are carrying the ark. So one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, so they sacrifice here. One, two, okay. So that was a long walk, probably took a long time uh, to get the house, get, get the ark from Odadiam's house to the city of David. But David here models extravagant worship through us through sacrificial giving. One way to build a present-centered home is by being a generous people. I wish I had time to unpack all the different stories, but I'll tell you this. Some of the families I know whose kids are the most pure and have walked with Jesus the closest have parents that have instilled generosity and sacrifice in them from an early age. Because there's something about living a generous lifestyle, living a sacrificial lifestyle, forgiving on behalf of others that releases the presence of God. That's worship. That's worship in our lives. David was tapping into a principle there of sacrifice while he was worshiping. You know, it's also interesting that it's a sacrifice because sometimes we have to give a sacrifice of praise, don't we? We have to worship when we don't feel like it. But that shifts an atmosphere and releases the presence of God into our homes. So sacrifice, that's one way to do extravagant and wild worship. And we see here David dancing around his underwear in verse 14. David wearing a linen ephod danced before the Lord with all his might while he and the entire house of Israel brought upon the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. So David was unashamed in his worship. And um, there's so much I could say about this, but I think something happens in a, in, with roommates, with family members, with people we live with. When we are willing to go to a place with God of abandonment, it shifts something, doesn't it? And it centers our life on the presence of God. Worship is the ultimate atmosphere changer. 
you know, um, while Isaac was being born, my son, we are in the hospital. My wife was in labor for 36 hours, by the way. So praise him. And um, we were getting towards the home stretch. Uh, we, were, we had fallen asleep, actually. And um, we woke up in a scurry. There were nurses everywhere. There was stuff going on. Teebs was there. She was kind of trying to figure out what was up and w- waking us up. And Isaac's heart rate, he was still in the womb, had dropped dramatically. And it was a really scary moment. Actually, anything could have happened. Uh, you know, it, I, I found out later how serious it was. But basically, they just said, hey, you need to do something to get his heart rate up. I was like, well, he's in there. I don't know what to do. But then I thought, worship. And so we had this song on our iPod, Deep Cries Out. You guys know the song, Move to the Left. Okay, that one. Okay, so I put it on. I said, Isaac, you hear me in there? We're going to worship. If it goes to the left, flip over, goes to the right, flip over. You know what? His heart rate went back up. It took time pressing in, but there's something, I think that song will always have a special place in his heart because there was something there that shifted an atmosphere in Shelly's body that centered that hospital room on the presence of God. Okay. There's another little song we sing in our house. It's typically when the baby's crying, but actually it's been pretty much the only thing that's kept him from crying the past two weeks. And the song goes like this. Oh, the Lord is good to me, and so I thank the Lord for giving me the things I need, the sun and the rain and the apple seed. The Lord is good to me. Just a simple song, but it releases goodness and thankfulness in a situation and even helps us parent in a healthy way and remember the presence of God. Extravagant and wild worship, even when we don't feel like it, allows us to create a present-centered home. Last thing I'll say about worship. There's a sound uh, study of physics and sound called reverberation. Reverberation. And reverberation studies sound waves. Sound waves look like this. And basically, after a word is spoken, after a sound is made, you can hear it for about two seconds. Reverb. Reverb. reverb, reverb. But you can hear it for about two seconds. But after that, even though we can't hear it, the sound wave still exists. Now, sound waves do one of two things. They either just get really far apart, but remain in the room, or they become absorbed by the matter in the room. So every word spoken, every note played in this room still exists. Worship creates a present-centered home by actually shifting even the physics of what's happening in our environment. Have you ever walked into a place and just thought, man, God is here. This is a holy place. That's what you're feeling. I think science is backing it up, but it's a spiritual reality that God's presence remains in a place as we speak life and release his presence into an environment, into an area. Worship is how we build a present-centered home. Okay, let's turn the corner here. We talked about why we want to build a present-centered home, because we need God's blessing. We talked about how, talked about purity, We talked about servanthood. We talked about extravagant worship. Now what? What happens when God's presence visits our home? Well, Hebrews 9 has a great scripture about the Ark of the Covenant. And it talks about the Ark here in the Old Testament. This fire is awesome. It talks about the Ark of the Covenant. And basically, there were three things in the Ark of the Covenant that when Israel would carry it around, would be inside. And to me, these three things represent what the presence of God does for us. What happens when God's presence visits us? So the first thing that was in the ark was manna, okay? Now, 
It's okay. You're allowed to laugh. I know it's silly. Okay. So manna, okay, was what was fed to Israel when they didn't have anything to eat. It was supernatural food that God provided while they were in the desert. And they were told to put it in the ark to remember it. But you know what speaks to us today? When God's presence visits our home, there's provision. There's provision. The Bible says, I've never seen the righteous go hungry or their children begging for bread. God wants to visit us with his presence so he can bring provision into our lives. Now, that doesn't mean every want, but this isn't a, you know, some weird message related to money. But it, it's a statement to say when God is with us, we have what we need because our father takes care of us. That's a fruit. That's what happens in a present-centered home. The next thing that was in the ark, my ark was too small for this, but was a staff. And the staff has a long history attached to it that I'm not going to get into. But the staff represented calling and authority. Children or people that live in a present-centered home know what they're supposed to do. Identity crisis does not have to happen. We can raise people, we ourselves, we can know the plan that God has for us. I was loving hearing a family member talk about one of the children in our church. And this, this child, I, he's like probably five or six, but he's a leader. And you can just tell. And he's always wrestling the older kids and ordering them around, the people that are bigger than him. And the parents were trying to figure it out. And they were saying, well, well, why does he always do that with the older kids? And then an, another mom with a lot more years of experience spoke up. And she said, in reference to the older kids who are a lot bigger than him, even though he's little, she said this about him. She said, well, that's how big he thinks he is. Children that are raised in a present-centered home know their calling. They know their authority. They know what they're supposed to do. The last thing about a present-centered home, and this applies to you if you're single, if you're a college student, all these blessings God's going to bring to you if you center your home on God's presence. Where are the tablets? Okay, so here's my tablet. Okay. Some of you, I'm going to make you laugh for this is done. Okay, here's my tablet. Um, Now, the tablets were the Ten Commandments, right, what the Ten Commandments were written on. But tablets represent the word of God. A present-centered home is a home where people hear the voice of God. Where they're raised knowing that God speaks to them. Knowing that they have a good father in heaven who wants to lead them and guide them. The word of God is ready and available to them. There's a great book out there for you parents. Even singles, I read it. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And if you haven't seen it, you need to get a copy. I'm just going to endorse it right now because the illustrations in there are incredible. The way it talks about Jesus is wonderful. It'll make you cry. And we've, we've been privileged to get a copy of that when Isaac uh, was still in the womb. We read it to him in the womb. We read it to him uh, his first six months of life. So the word of God is active and living and present in a present-centered home. A present-centered home is a home where people hear God. So that's what we want. If you're here, I think it's probably because you want that, right? You want a home centered on the presence of God. You want a life centered on the presence of God. You want to keep your home fire burning in the right and healthy way. The band can go ahead and come up. We're going to pray for a minute.